Welcome to tape number three of Renewal of the Covenants, National and Solemn League, A Confession of Sins, An Engagement to Duties, and a Testimony by Alexander Craighead. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to our reading of Renewal of the Covenants by Alexander Craighead, which we pray you find to be a great blessing, and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing our reading of the preface, fourth head, remarks of the opponent's pamphlets. Those words are so clear a confirmation of what is said above that it would be but abuse of time to endeavor to make it more plain than his words have done, for he that runs may read it, and it is to be hoped that neither he nor any of his party will henceforth, until they change their profession, be so bold and presumptuous as to assume the name of true Reformed Presbyterians, and if they should, that others would not discover themselves to be so profoundly ignorant of a true Reformed religion as to believe them, until they change their profession, or this will witness against them, that they believe a lie, as the Word of God tells us, persons will do when left by him. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, which appears too evident to be the common condition of the most of this adulterous generation. Tis remarkable that Mr. Tennant charges Mr. Craighead with being a schismatic because he broke communion with them and turned to the Cameronian scheme. And now, because this is frequently charged against those that would be faithful in this ad- adulterous generation, it is not unnecessary to show the falseness of this charge which will appear if we consider these particulars and, one, that the generality of both ministers and people which profess themselves to be of the number of the true Reformed and covenanted religion, as is without dispute clear from the common practice of ministers binding parents when their children are baptized to the Christian Reformed religion as founded on the Word of God and more briefly summed up in the Confession of Faith which proveth that when any person can find upon certain grounds that neither himself nor any of those he joined with doth truly maintain the true covenanted Presbyterian religion, which they pretend to profess, certainly it must be a false charge to them to term him a schismatic, who only turned from corruption unto the very religion which he has before professed. Now, that the generality of neither ministers nor people do maintain a true covenanted Reformed Presbyterian religion is evident by the pretended acts of pretended synods and presbyteries, together with the pamphlets spoke of in this preface. 2. It appears plain from the express word who are the schismatics in this case, to wit, 
such as cause divisions contrary to the doctrine that we have learned, Romans 16, verse 17, that the covenanted Reformed Presbyterian religion is the doctrine that we have learned, is evident by our baptismal vows and our professing that religion. And thus you may clearly see from the word of God that they only are the schismatics who swerve from this doctrine. So if Mr. Tennant and all that continue in apostasy with him from the truth of God rightly considers the express word of God that he and all his associates are guilty of that grievous charge being schismatics as is also evident by the writing of many ancient faithful divines such as Mr. Rutherford and many others. Again, that seems to be an awful sentence spoken by Mr. Whitfield and confirmed by Mr. Tennant that the covenanting scheme is too narrow to build any great superstructure upon. Mr. Tennant might be asked if that be a narrow foundation, whether it be any narrower than the word of God directs to, or whether he or any that take part with him can prove it to be so. It is indeed too narrow to come and go in from one to another or to admit of any maintained errors, corruptions, or lust, on which account it is despised and rejected commonly by erroneous persons and such as cannot endure to cure their corruptions nor bear with that which would bridle them. Again, the author might be asked if, it be, if its being a narrow scheme doth not make it look like the very path which Christ directed to Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Remark number 3. In the same page, Mr. Tennant says, quote, that he highly approves of the Catholic, generous, and noble sentiments of the very Reverend Dr. Bates and Mr. Howe, that's H-O-W, who observes a just medium between two dangerous extremes of a rigorous severity upon the one hand and a perilous laxness on the other. This Catholicism, which is so high applauded by Mr. Tennant, doth not seem to agree well with the word of God, which tells us there is but one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. How inconsistent this scripture is with that Catholicism, let the reader judge. Again, what can be the reason that Mr. Tennant, in the same page, blames Mr. Craighead for being a censorious tempter? If it be for condemning persons for maintaining errors, this is what the word of God directs to. A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Titus 3, verse 10. If it be for condemning all to be graceless, but such as join a covenanted reformation, the reverse of this he maintains, to wit that there may be gracious persons of several other professions, but it is as certain that the most gracious persons are liable unto errors in principle as well as in practice. And wheresoever either to be found, they ought to be opposed, though they were in one like Peter, for faithful open reproofs are better than secret love. Proverbs 28, verse 5, 27, verse 5. It is fit to warn the reader that there is a book, a small quattro, which is exceedingly erroneous, which is fathered upon upon Mr. Shields, the author of The Hind Let Loose, and of other valuable pieces. But he is not the author of that awful piece, as is evident from a book entitled The Informatory Vindication, and a book entitled The Life and Death of Mr. James Rennick. But two apostates were its authors, vis-a-vis Lenning 
L-I-N-N-I-N-G, and Boyd. Before we would conclude this preface, it will not be amiss to let the reader know that at the latter end of the seventh point of our testimony that persons of inadvertency may mistake our designs and our saying that we adhere unto the whole of our testimony as is stated, declared, and vindicated in our informatory vindication. Whereas by the whole of our testimony here, we only understand so much of our testimony as, in, as is contained in this book, termed the informatory vindication, and by stated, declared, and vindicated, we understand it as it is here held forth and agrees with the rest of the true covenanted reformation. Again, we would warn the reader, whereas we, through forgetfulness and to our shame, we may speak it, that almost none of us, us hath been long accustomed to lift up a testimony against the corruptions of the times. We have in the body of our testimony neglected to testify in particular against the pretender, and therefore being sensible of our neglect in this respect, and in particular at this time, because we hear that his votaries have been or are endeavoring to bring him into some parts of this realm in order to establish him under the name or title of supreme ruler in this realm, and we being in some measure sensible that it is our unquestionable duty in the sight of the heart-searching God, we being a part of this realm, though never so small and minute, to testify against this person in this procedure in the most public manner that we are capable of, and, therefore, we would desire with a single view unto the glory of that great and eternal God, the real good and benefit of the whole realm, a faithful discharge of our consciences, and for the satisfaction of the well-wishers of the realm, we do in our own names and in the name of all that sh shall adhere to us lift up this our public testimony, declaring, protesting, and testifying against him who is now called the pretender and is reported to be the son of the old pretender, vis-a-vis, -vis, he that pretended to be the Prince of Wales and took the, that name to himself of King James the Eighth. The above-mentioned pretender, we do, as above, declare against his having any legal right or title to the throne of Great Britain, or to any place of power or trust, either civil or ecclesiastical, or in any one part of this realm, or any that adheres to him, and that, first, because of his popish principles, secondly, because as far as we know he hath no scripture qualifications to sway the scepter over a covenanted reformed nation, and we look upon ourselves as bound in duty to oppose him and all that join him in any enterprise of the like nature in our station and condition, as we have opportunity with our utmost skill, bodily strength, and activity. To conclude, reader, it may be that your patience is almost worn out, as indeed long prefaces for common are very tedious, but there was such a variety of things to be hinted at that it could not be such if almost anything abbreviated or shortened. And now, reader, consider, if downright prejudice hath not blinded your eyes, if this be not the true cause of God that is minted and aimed at, although in exceeding weakness and great imperfection, Yet see if any real honesty and integrity may not be found in it. And, O reader, despise it not on the account of its uncomely dress. Remember, a right observation of the substance is what readers ought to be uh, taken up with more about than words or connect sentences, although it is our misery 
that many in this corrupt age take more notice of the eloquency of words and the neat connections of, of sentences than they do to that which is insisted on. Now, reader, perhaps thou hast had a view of several things which thou hast never heard before, and therefore, as thou expects to appear at the bar of a heart-searching God, consider what thou hast read and improve it, lest it rise up in judgment against thee. Farewell. Now beginning the Confession of Sins, a solemn acknowledgment of public sins and breaches of the National Covenant and Solemn League and Covenant. Whereas we, after due examination, being convinced in our own conscience by the Word and Spirit of God of the bindingness of the National Covenant and Solemn League and Covenant, and of our duty to renew the same, and likewise that we find ourselves together with our fathers to be guilty of the violation of these holy covenants. Therefore, we find it our duty to adhere to the confession of sins and engagement to duties expressed in the Westminster Confession of Faith, together with the confession of the following sins and engagements to duties, which more particularly concern us and the age in which we live. First, and above all, we desire to lament and bewail before God and the world upon the account of the apostate, perjured, and blood-guilty condition of church and state. Secondly, we desire to lament and bewail that heaven-daring and God-provoking sin of that cruel tyrant, Charles II, of his cruel parliament, and those that adhere to him in breaking and burning in an ignominious manner by the hand of the common hangman are holy covenants. Thirdly, we desire to lament and bewail the forming of all those iniquitous laws and the dethroning the Presbyterian government and for the erecting of a piratical government to the destruction of the cause and interest of Jesus Christ, and particularly that abominable act recissory which is yet unrepealed as a standing evidence of the deplorable state of the nations which act recissory properly signifies a repealing or disannulling of all former acts made in favor of the covenanted reformation. Fourthly, we desire to lament that horrible and cruel sin of shedding the blood of the saints, which blood is yet crying for vengeance to be poured down from heaven upon all breakers and continuers in the breach of these holy covenants. Fifthly, we desire to lament over the dreadful treachery and deceit of him that was termed King William by his setting himself in the place of God and his usurping Christ's royal prerogative by his taking to himself a headship over the church and government of the consciences of men which is due to God alone. Sixthly, we desire to lament over the, that pretended liberty of conscience which we can't but look upon as an opening of a floodgate for almost all kinds of error and heresies which have crept into the reformed nations in this adulterous age. Seventhly, we desire to lament before the Lord that horrid abomination of pretending to forgive murder and tolerating of witchcraft, which are both contrary to the word of God, and we look upon it as our misery that the state to this day is never altered for the better, but rather for the worse, since the time of the unhappy revolution. Eighthly, it is also matter of our lamentation that the Presbyterian ministers left their former constitution in the reign of that cruel monster Charles II, 
and embraced that idol of God's jealousy vis-a-vis Charles II in the room of Christ and in obedience to his sinful commands, swearing all those sinful oaths which he and the government framed and imposed upon them for the utter subversion of the Presbyterian interest and the commencement of abjured prelacy, as particularly that oath of supremacy and of abjuration and all other tests, oaths, and bonds, or anything of the same nature. Ninthly, we desire to lament that the aforesaid ministers accepted the indulgences first and last, that is, they ceased from their ministry at the command of Charles II, and again at his command, preached agreeably to his command, which command was to preach nothing in favor of a Presbyterian government or nothing against prelacy, which plainly discovers that they have forsaken their former husband and as a demonstration of their spiritual adultery are joined in marriage contract with the above-mentioned idol instead of God the Creator. Tenthly, we desire to lament that at the time of the Revolution they went backwards as hundred. Excuse me, they went backwards a hundred years to establish their church upon the footing of an Erastian supremacy, which plainly discovers that the church in the time of the Revolution was established upon the same Erastian supremacy upon which the church in the time of the Indulgency was established. And it is also evident that the church in the time of the Revolution was under the former restrictions in respect to her doctrine as is evident by their formulas wherein they are sworn to preach nothing against the then establishment and that there is no alteration in the state of the church since the unhappy revolution. Eleventh, we do lament that the generality of people in all ranks have complied, encouraged, and assisted and joined with both church and state in these pernicious and God-provoking courses. Twelfth, we also lament that we have all been tainted with the former abominable courses and that the church of, and the state of the church in these American parts differs nothing from the state of the revolution church for the better, but rather for the worse, which the acts of synods and the presbyteries in these parts makes it evidently appear. Thirteenth, we desire to lament over the promiscuous and corrupt communion of ministers and people that they joined with all their imagined, all that they imagined were Christians. Fourteenth, we desire to lament over all kind of errors and immoralities that abound in this corrupt and apostate age. Fifteenth and lastly, we desire to lament that we have continued so long in a confederacy with the upholders of all the above said abominations and that our Zion is in such a low, shattered, and distressed condition, the Lord having covered the virgin, virgin daughter of Zion with a cloud in the day of his fierce anger. Engagement to Duties A solemn engagement to the duties contained in our National and Solemn League and Covenant. There being no promise for the pardon of any sin without confession and a real forsaking, therefore, we do promise in the strength of Almighty God to perform the following duties in opposition to the forementioned sin. First, we are convinced in our consciences by the Word and Spirit of God that it is our duty to witness against all encroachments upon the royal prerogative of Jesus Christ, and in particular these heaven-daring sins of popery and prelacy. Second, 
we look upon it as our duty to separate ourselves from the corrupt constitution of both church and state and not to touch, taste, nor handle these abominations lest by partaking with them in their sins we be made partakers with them in their plagues. Thirdly, we look upon it as our duty to endeavor the advancing and promoting the power of this true reformed religion against all ungodliness and profanity and the securing and pre preserving the purity thereof against all kind of errors, heresies, and schism, as, as namely independency, libertinism, anabaptism, anonomianism, arminianism, socinianism, quakerism, Erastianism, Deism, Morovianism, and that awful error of pretending to live without sin, and yet being notoriously wicked, and that abominable Catholicism, to wit, our former mongrel church communion. Fourth, we shall also study more sincerity, uprightness, and heart integrity in the worship of God, and shall not satisfy ourselves with the form of it without the power and spirituality which God, the alone object of religious worship, doth require. Fifth, we shall likewise, by all lawful means, endeavor that true Presbyterian church government and church sessions, presbyteries, synods, and general assemblies may be recovered in its former purity, established upon its proper basis and foundation the word of God, and that it may be freed from all encroachments and invasions made thereupon by the powers of the earth and hell. Sixthly and lastly, we resolve through the strength of Almighty God to promote and maintain the whole of the Reformed Presbyterian religion and all the parts and branches of it in opposition to all errors and immoralities of whatsoever nature and kind. Declaration and Testimony The declaration, protestation, and testimony of a suffering remnant of the anti-Popish, anti-Lutheran, anti-Prelatic, anti-Erastian, anti-Latitudinarian, anti-Sectarian, true Presbyterian Church of Christ in America. We for our sins and the sins of our fathers, being given up of a long season by the righteous judgment of God to go into apostasy, perjury, and defection from our reformed and covenanted principles, have now come to be convinced by the word and spirit of God of this our heinous guilt, together with the sin of all these that have gone on in the like pernicious backsliding courses, and as an evidence of our unfeigned repentance and true re reformation, we do, in the strength and by the grace of God, lift up the following testimony. First, we find ourselves under a necessity from the Word of God and from a true covenanted reformation and our baptismal, baptismal vows by this our testimony in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to declare a defensive war against all usurpers of the royal prerogative of the glorious Lamb of God, against all usurpers of an unscriptural power over the Church of Christ, or the consciences of men, against all maintainers and helpers of these or any of them, all continuers in subjection to them, or connivers at them, and the partakers or partners by the law of God and man being equal with the thief in transgression. We also declare that we look upon ourselves as bound both by the law of God and the law of nature to endeavor to defend our religious liberties wherewith Christ hath made us free 
and our bodies and goods from all kinds of false impositions, intrigues, snares, treacherous deceitfulness, or whatever kind of perverse dealing of any of them with our best skill, power, bodily strength, and activity. Secondly, we profess sincerely to own and adhere to the true Reformed Presbyterian religion in doctrine, worship, discipline, and government as it is contained at large in the Word of God, the Old and New Testaments, and briefly summed up in our Westminster Confession of Faith, Catechisms Larger and Shorter, Sum of Saving Knowledge, Directory for Worship, Propositions of Church Government, and to our Covenants National and Solemn League, as also to the Acts and Declarations of the Church of Scotland, agreeable to the above said Confession of Faith and Covenants, and especially the acts and declarations of general assemblies in purest times of the church, namely between the year of 1638 and 1649 inclusive. Also, all protestations and declarations before and after that time, agreeable to those above said, that were made by those who opposed the defection from and overthrowing of our covenanted reformation, and to all the faithful contendings for and testimonies to the truth, interest, and prerogatives of Jesus Christ, of old and of late, by ministers and professors, in opposition to all errors, popery, prelacy, superstition, heresy, schism, sectarianism, erastianism, profanity, and whatever is contrary to sound doctrine and the power of godliness, the maintaining of which noble cause our renowned ancestors and faithful martyrs judged worthy of their dearest lives and precious blood to seal and confirm the same to posterity. Third, we lift up our testimony against Charles I, his conduct and maintaining of a war in opposition to the carrying on of the work of reformation and liberties of the Parliament, together with all that gave their countenance or assistance to him therein. We do approve of all the just ends and endeavors of the Parliament in carrying on a true reformation. Fourth, we do testify against the motion made by Cromwell to the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland that they would receive into ecclesiastical authority and give their assent to his receiving into places of civil power such as formerly had been laid aside by lawful judicatures on the account of disaffection to and opposition of a true reformation, with which motion 600 of the aforesaid assembly fell in, which occasioned 300 of the above said assembly to give in a protestation by Mr. Kant, C-A-N-T, and Mr. Rutherford in the year 1651, against such steps of defection whose conduct we heartily approve of in this affair. Fifth, we do testify against the conduct of Charles II in making application to the Parliament for liberty to read the service book in his own family, to which the Parliament complied as an evidence that they had left the purity of the attained to reformation and made a speech to the Parliament to this purpose. What a loss it was that they were deprived of the benefit of several persons of great parts merely upon the account that they could not comply with the covenants which the Parliament also complied with, as is plain from Woodrow's history, R-O-W-R-O-W apostrophe S, history, which was the opening of the floodgate to all that apostasy, perjury, tyranny, and bloodshed that ensued 
who threw the whole of his reign and his brother York's. We do also testify against all his abominations and all compilers therewith, whether in church or state, and in particular against the indulgences first and last. Sixth, we do also testify against James Duke of York, his having any legal right to rule over this reign by realm by reason of his popish principles. Likewise, we join our testimony given against the Duke of York's abominable anti-Christian toleration by that faithful minister and martyr of Jesus Christ, Mr. James Rennick, January 16, 1688. Seventh, we likewise join our testimony to the taking up of arms for the defense of the gospel and preservation of their lives at Bothwell and Ayers Moss and all other places for the same cause. We likewise join to all the faithful testimonies and protestations, declarations, and contendings for promoval and defense of reformation and against affection that have been given and acted in Scotland since the year 1650 to this very day, particularly the faithful protestations given by the honest protesters against the perfidious public resolutions at St. Andrews, July 18, 1651, and at Edinburgh, July 21, 1652, the testimony given by the faithful ministers of the gospel in the provinces of Perth and Fife to the covenanted work of reformation and against Oliver Cromwell's abominable toleration in October 1658, the testimony published at Rutherglen, May 29, 1679, the declarations published at Sanquar, June 22, 1680, at Lenark, January 12, 1682, at Sanquhar, May 28, 1685, August 10, 1692, November 5, 1695, May 23, 1703, at Lenark's November 7, 1727, January 10, 1738. The paper found upon that faithful martyr of Jesus Christ, Henry Hall of Hoghead, at Queen Ferry, at Queen's Ferry, June 3, 1680. This ends side one. Please turn the tape over and continue listening on side two. The paper found upon that faithful minister and martyr of Jesus Christ, Richard, Mr. Richard Cameron, at Ayersmoss, July 22, 1680. The protestation against the Scots Congregation at Rotterdam. November 28, 1683, and all other faithful testimonies given by martyrdom upon scaffolds, fields, and seas, or otherwise, by banishment, imprisonment, and stigmatizing, tortures, tannings, confinings, or sufferings, or otherwise, for their faithful adherence to the Word of God and Scotland's covenanted work of reformation. We own the faithful writings of Mr. George Gillespie and Mr. Hugh Binning, that's B-I-N-N-I-N-G, against sinful association and confederacy with idolaters, infidels, heretics, malignants, or other enemies of truth and godliness, and also the faithful writings and warnings of Mr. John Brown and Mr. Robert McWard and others against Charles Stewart's church-renting, Reformation ruining indulgences, and finally, we adhere to the whole of our testimony as it is stated, declared, and vindicated in our informatory vindication, except those expressions in the second edition concerning her that were termed Queen Anne, 
who is there termed the princess of the land, which we all deny that either she or any of that constitution could be princess, princes or princesses. Eight, we likewise state our testimony against the installment of William Henry because he had neither national nor scriptural qualifications, but exactly contrary thereto, as doth plainly appear from Deuteronomy 17, verse 15, Exodus 18:21, Second Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4, Nehemiah 7:2, Romans 13, 3 and 4. As doth also appear from our National and Solemn League and Covenant, and from the best human laws that ever passed in any nation concerning the qualifications of the civil magistrate, as Act looks like eight par- paragraph one. Act 99, excuse me, that's Parliament 1, and then Acts 99, Parliament 7, Act 23, Parliament 11, Act 114, Parliament 12 of King James VI, Act 4, Charles I, and Act 15, and Act 26 of Parliament 2 the reign of Charles II, and by the laudable practice of this realm in refusing the crown and covenant to Charles II, until he swore and subscribed the National and Solemn League and Covenants, and obliged himself to prosecute the ends thereof in his person and family and through his dominions, first, as it likewise doth appear from the persons making a choice having actually and practically forfeited their rights so to do, because of their many outrageous murders committed on the people of God, although under the pretense of law, whereby they became guilty of their blood, and thence for which they were lying under the sentence of death by the law of God, and by the laws of these nations which were conformable thereunto, it doth likewise appear, from his being an outlandish Lutheran, sworn prelatic and head of malignants and protector of sectarian heretics and established head of the church in opposition to Jesus Christ. Ninth, we do likewise enter our testimony against George I, his having the, any legal right to rule over this realm because he hath an outlandish, he being an outlandish Lutheran and likewise against George II for their being sworn prelatics the head of malignants and protector of sectarian heretics and electory princes in, of Brunswick and choosing of new emperors, which is their giving their power to the beast, and for their confederacy with popish princes, directly contrary to the second commandment, and for want or lack of their scriptural and national qualifications, as is above said, and for their being established head of the Church of the Laws of England. Tenth, we likewise state our testimony against all that shall succeed them under these limitations to the crown. Eleventh, we would not be understood so as to reject the power that are ordained of God in his word, which powers are a terror to evildoers and a praise to such as do well, 1 Peter 2, verse 14, and has these qualifications that God requires in his word of rulers in a reformed and covenanted church to wit, such as follow Deuteronomy 17, verse 15, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. 
verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of, out of that which is before the priests and Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. Second Samuel 23, verse 3. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and likewise that he should be a man of wisdom and understanding, to know how to go out and go in before so great a people. Twelve, we lift up our testimony against that unhappy revolution and the conduct of the church at that time, which established an Erastian power in the king's hands, as they term him, to appoint time and place when and where general assemblies should be holden and oblige presbyteries to settle such qualified preachers, as they call them, to vacant congregations as should be presented by the pretended king or lay persons, or lay patrons, excuse me. The truth of this is evident from the claim of right, April 11th, from the Act, Fifth Act of William and Mary's First Pretended Parliament, July 22nd, and from William Henry's letter to the pretended General Assembly, dated at Kensington, October, to all in the year 1690, by which it is undeniable that the constitution and establishment of this church in the year 1690 was Erastian and not true Presbyterian. We also lift up our testimony against all the corrupt pretended acts of the pretended General Assemblies ever since the unhappy revolution and all their sinful obligations which they came under to their pretended civil authority and to one another in obedience to them and particularly against the formulas the first composed in the year 1690, the second in the year 1711, and likewise against the oath of abjuration together with the oath of allegiance, all which conspire together for the overturning and raising out of the whole of that glorious work of reformation. Thirteenth. We do protest against the pretended associate presbytery in the kingdom of Scotland for their holding by that anti-scriptural Erastian establishment of the Erastian church in that kingdom, as likewise for the corrupt exercise of their discipline and excommunicating of the covenanted cause of Jesus Christ and the persons of Alexander Lyle, that's L-Y-A-L, and David Leslie, L-E-S-L-Y, and their adherents, for their adhering to and maintaining of the principles of the above said cause, and likewise for their doctrine, making one part to contradict another, as it doth plainly appear by some of their writings, and also for their preaching against the pretended supreme magistrate, and at the same time owning him as their rightful and lawful sovereign. We agree to and approve of the testimony given in and against them at Lith- Lithengau, by the faithful witnessing remnant in the year 1741. 14th, we lift up our testimony against the constituting, that constituting act of the year 1729 composed by a number of pretended Presbyterian ministers met in Philadelphia under the name of a synod, which act is contrary to the true constitution of the Presbyterian Reformed Church of Christ, as is evident by the act itself. In this constitution they walk agreeably to to this day, or worse, which appears from their almost boundless 
terms of church communion. NB or note well, this our act of testimony commences from the year 1680, although we have spoken something concerning some defections before said period. Yet in regard to our act of testimony, we do date it from said period, given at middle Octorera, upon the 11th day of November, 1743. Let King Jesus reign, and let all his enemies be scattered. Amen. Covenant and Confession of Faith The National Covenant or Confession of Faith Subscribed at first by the King's Majesty and his household in the year 1580, thereafter by persons of all ranks the year 1581 by ordinance of the Lords of Secret Council and Acts of the General Assembly, subscribed again by all sorts of persons in the year 1590 by a new ordinance of council at the desire of the General Assembly with a general bond for maintenance of the true Christian religion and the King's person and together with a resolution and promise for the causes after expressed to maintain the true religion and the King's majesty according to the foresaid confession and acts of Parliament subscribed by barons, nobles, gentlemen, burgesses, ministers, and commons in the year 1638 approved by the General Assembly 1638 and 39 and subscribed again by persons of all ranks and qualities in the year 1639 by an ordinance of council upon the supplication of the General Assembly and act of the General Assembly ratified by an act of Parliament 1640 and subscribed by King Charles II at Spray excuse me at Spay June 23, 1640, and Schoon, January 1, 1651. We, all and every one of us, underwritten protest that after long and due examination of our own consciences in matters of true and false religion, we are now thoroughly resolved in the truth by the word and spirit of God, and therefore we believe with our hearts confess with our mouths, subscribe with our hands, and constantly affirm before God and the whole world that this only is the true Christian faith and religion, pleasing God and bringing salvation to man, which now is, by the mercy of God revealed to the world, by the preaching of the blessed evangelist, and is received, believed, and defended by many and sundry notable kirks and realms, but chiefly by the Church of Scotland, or Kirk of Scotland, the King's Majesty and three estates of this realm as God's eternal truth and only ground of our salvation, as more particularly is expressed in the confession of our faith, established and publicly confirmed by sundry acts of parliaments, and now of a long time hath been openly professed by the King's Majesty and whole body of this realm. B. Both in Burg and Lodz to land, excuse me, to the which confession and form of religion we willingly agree in our consciences in all points as unto God's undoubted truth and verity, grounded only upon his written word, and therefore we abhor and detest all contrary religions and doctrine, but chiefly all kind of papistry in general and particular heads, even as they are now damned and confuted by the word of God and Church of Scotland. But, in special, we detest and refuse the usurped authority of that Roman Antichrist upon the scriptures of God, upon the Kirk, the civil magistrate, and consciences of men, 
all his tyrannous laws made upon indifferent things against our Christian liberties, his erroneous doctrine against the sufficiency of the written word, the perfection of the law, the office of Christ, and his blessed evangel, his corrupted doctrine concerning original sin, our natural inability and rebellion to God's law, our justification by faith only, our imperfect sanctification and obedience to the law, the nature, number, and use of the holy sacraments, his five bastard sacraments with all his rites, ceremonies, and false doctrine added to the ministration of the true sacraments without the word of God, his cruel judgment against infants departing without the sacrament, his absolute necessity of baptism, his blasphemous opinion of transubstantiation or real presence of Christ's body in the elements and receiving of the same by the wicked or bodies of men, his dispensations with solemn oaths, perjuries, and degrees of marriage forbidden in the word, his cruelty against the innocent divorced, his devilish mass, his blasphemous priesthood, his profane sacrifice for the sins of the dead and the quick, his canonizing of men, calling upon angels or saints departed, worshiping of imagery, relics and crosses, dedicating of kirks, altars, days, vows to creatures, his purgatory, prayers for the dead, praying or speaking in a strange language, and his processions and blasphemous litany, and multitude of of advocates or mediators, his manifold orders, auricular confession, his desperate and uncertain repentance, his general and doubtsome faith, his satisfaction of men for their sins, his justification by works, opus operetum, operetum, works of supererogation, merits, pardons, peregrinations, and stations, his holy water, baptizing of bells, conjuring of spirits, crossings, sayings, anointings, conjuring, hallowing of God's good creatures, with the superstitious opinion joined therewith, his worldly monarchy and wicked hierarchy, his three solemn vows with all his shavelings of sundry sorts, his erroneous and bloody decrees made at Trent, with all the subscribers and approvers of that cruel and bloody band, conjured against the kirk of God, and finally we detest all his vain allegories, rites, signs, and traditions brought into the kirk without or against the word of God and doctrine of this true reformed kirk, to the which we join ourselves willingly in doctrine, faith, religion, discipline, and use of the holy sacrament as lively members of the same in Christ our head, promising and swearing by the great name of the Lord our God that we shall continue in the obedience of the doctrine and discipline of this kirk and shall defend the same according to our vocations and power all the days of our lives under the pains contained in the law and danger both of body and soul in the day of God's fearful judgments." And seeing that many are stirred up by Satan and the Roman Antichrist to promise, swear, subscribe, and for a time use the holy sacraments in the kirk deceitfully against their own consciences, minding hereby first under the external cloak of religion to corrupt and subvert secretly God's true religion within the kirk, 
and afterwards when time may serve to become open enemies and persecutors of the same under vain hope of the Pope's dispensation devised against the word of God to his greater confusion and their double condemnation in the day of the Lord Jesus. We therefore willingly to take away all suspicion of hypocrisy and such double dealing with God and his Kirk protest and call the searchers of all hearts for witness that our minds and hearts do fully agree with this, con- our, with this our confession, promise, oath, and subscription, so that we are not moved for any worldly respect, but are persuaded only in our consciences through the knowledge and love of God's true religion imprinted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as we shall answer to him in the day when the secrets of all hearts shall be disclosed. And because we perceive that the quietness and stability of our religion and Kirk doth depend upon the safety and good behavior of the King's Majesty, as upon a comfortable instrument of God's mercy granted to this country for the maintaining of his Kirk and administration of justice among us, we protest and promise with our hearts under the same oath, hand, written pains, that we shall defend his person and authority with our goods, bodies, and lives in the defense of Christ, his evangel, liberties of our country, ministration of justice, and punishment of iniquity against all enemies within this realm or without, as we desire our God to be a strong and merciful defender to us in the day of our death and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory eternally. Like as, many acts of parliaments not only in general do abrogate, annul, and rescind all laws, statutes, acts, constitutions, canons, civil or municipal, with all other ordinances and practices, excuse me, practices, penalties whatsoever made in prejudice of the true religion and professors thereof of the true Kirk discipline jurisdiction and freedom thereof or in favor of idolatry and superstition or of the Baptistical Kirk as Act 3 Act 31 of Parliament 1 Act 23 of Parliament 11 Act 114 of Parliament 12 of King James the first that papistry and superstition may be utterly suppressed according to the intention of the Acts of Parliament repeated in the fifth Act of Parliament 20 of King James the sixth, and to that end they ordain all papists and priests to be punished by manifold civil and ecclesiastical pains as adversaries to God's true religion preached and by law established within this realm Act 24 of Parliament 11 of King James the Sixth, as common enemies to all Christian government, Act 18, Parliament 16, of King James the Sixth, as rebellers and gainstanders of our sovereign Lord's authority, Act 47, Parliament 3, of King James the Sixth, and as idolaters, Act 104, of Parliament 7, of King James the Sixth, but also, in particular, by and after the confession of faith abolish and condemn the Pope's authority and jurisdiction out of this land and ordains the maintainers thereof to be punished Act 2 of Parliament 1 Act 51 of Parliament 3 Act 106 of Parliament 7 
Act 114 of Parliament 12 of King James VI do condemn the Pope's erroneous doctrine or any other erroneous doctrine repugnant to any of the articles of the true and Christian religion publicly preached and by law established in this realm and ordains the spreaders and makers of books or libels or letters or writs of that nature to be punished. Act 46 of Parliament 3, Act 106 of Parliament 7, Act 24 of Parliament 11 of King James VI do condemn all baptisms conform to the popish kirk and idolatry of the mass and ordains all sayers, willful hearers and concealers of the mass, the maintainers and resetters of priests, Jesuits, trafficking papists to be punished without any exception or restriction. Act 5 of Parliament 1, Act 120 of Parliament 12, Act 164 of Parliament 13, Act 193 of Parliament 14, Act 1 of Parliament 19, Act 5 of Parliament 20 of King James VI, do condemn all erroneous books and writs containing erroneous doctrine against the religion presently professed or containing superstitious rites and ceremonies baptistical, baptistical whereby the people are greatly abused and ordains the homebringers of them to be punished. Act 25 of Parliament 11 of King James VI. This ends tape number three of Renewal of the Covenants by Alexander Craighead. Please go to the next tape in the series and continue listening. Thank you. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Renewal of the Covenants by Alexander Craighead, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in softcover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. And please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan Bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com, as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed books.